well, hello everybody. Welcome to the uh, next episode of the Used Gamers. I'm Mike. I'm going to be hosting this evening. With me, as always, is Jared and Chris. Howdy. So uh, we got a, a couple of, of things um, for today. We have kind of a review and a half, I guess you could say. We have a review of a game um, that was very much anticipated, especially by two of the members of the Used Gamers, not so much of the other one, namely me. And then uh, we have a review of a, a, a quick little kind of mention, really, uh, not really a very big DLC for Borderlands 2, um, as well as some other little interesting um, uh, things that have come out in gaming news, as well as a, a little suggestion from one of our the used gamers Jared has for you guys who maybe were a little disappointed with Colonial Marines. But for starters, we're going to begin with a, a review of uh, the very, very anticipated Bioshock Infinite. So I know both of you guys... Very, very excited about this game. Really looking forward to it. I've been talking about it nonstop until it finally came out. So, uh, did it live up to your expectations? Do we have any feelings so far on it? No, feeling. It's all right. No, uh, yeah. So, okay. Bio- <laughs> <laughs> Bioshock Infinite is is a game I've been looking forward to a lot uh, ever since it was first announced a couple of years ago. This thing's been through development for a really long time. Really? It had a lot of studios involved, and people come and people go and. There was some nervousness about whether it was going to turn out to be what everybody thought it would be, and and you know I'll, I'll be very upfront and say that you know I, I'm only about five hours into the game because um, my wife, being amazing as she is, ordered me the premium edition, uh, pre-ordered me the premium edition of it, um, which for some reason Amazon did not actually have at launch. So the game that uh, came out on March 26th, I didn't get a copy of until uh, April 4th. So <laughs> last night was the first time I had a chance to actually sit down and, and play the game for an extended stretch of time. And, and yeah, I mean, so far, you know, based on what I've seen, it, it's lived up to, to everything that I was hoping about. So, you know, th- this game takes place in a, in a different world than the original Bioshocks, as far as I know at this point, question mark. I don't know if there's any relationship between <laughs> the two, but, you know, if you've played... Bioshock or Bioshock 2, you know, your basic interaction with the world feels very, very similar. I mean, you're, you've got, you know, powers mapped to your left, you know, trigger. You've got weapons on your right. You've got the ability to change them with radial menus and your bumpers. You know, there's supernatural aspects to what you can do with your powers that have, you know, in the Bioshock games, you know, you have to collect these vials to be able to, you know, repower things. It's the same kind of thing with different names in the new Bioshock, but... You know, your basic conceit in this game is that, you know, it's it's this twisted world that now takes place in the clouds instead of under the water. It's sort of, the, you know, the fanatical obsession of one person creating this world that's meant to give everybody this, you know, place that's away from the mediocrity of everything else. And the general idea is that this floating city of Columbia was built to exhibit, you know, the best and brightest of what America was capable of for the World's Fair at the turn of the century but then basically saw the rest of the world not keeping up with its ideals and its beliefs and, you know, them basically seceding from the Union and becoming their own country and just sort of drifting off and no one's known what's happened to this thing for, like, the last ten years. And you're tasked with coming in as this agent named Booker DeWitt to come in to find a girl. And at the point that I'm at now, you know, you're still finding out stuff about his background you know, don't know a whole lot about her um, to figure out why it is even that she's so important that you want to interact with her. And so far, that's one of the biggest differences of playing this game versus playing the other two games is the fact that you're no longer a silent protagonist. I mean, you're a very well-defined character who's constantly talking and commenting on things that he sees, which 
is cool in how well it works so far. Like I've been able to kind of be able to predict that if I walk over to a certain group of characters or see something that's happening, I, I know he's going to have something to say about it. And it's not the kind of thing where, you know, in, in a lot of games that function will exist so that your character can kind of talk to himself in a way that gives you hints about what you're supposed to do next. I'm not seeing much of that, which is nice because that always feels, that makes it feel like a game when all of a sudden you're looking at a puddle and your character for no reason says, I really should probably go back and look at that treasure chest I saw two hours ago. Like, it kind of takes you away a little bit. Like, a he's forced. really just, yeah, exactly. He's really just sort of commenting on all the weird and amazing things that he's seeing around it. I mean, I, I, I'm really hesitant to say anything about the game because, you know, I, the way I'm thinking about it is the whole kind of thing is just like this big reveal, which, you know, I've built up like crazy in my head for what I want it to be. But, I mean, the opening sequence of the game, if if, every, if everybody's played Bioshock, which, you know, is a 2007 game, I can spoil the way the game opens. You know, you, you basically are in a plane crash, you end up in the middle of the ocean, and there's randomly this huge lighthouse that's in front of you. And you use that lighthouse to go down under the water into the city of Rapture. This new game opens almost the exact same way. You're in the middle of the ocean, you're in a little rowboat with some other characters, and there's a big lighthouse that's right in front of you, and you go to the lighthouse, but instead of taking you down, it takes you up into the air. So, it, I mean, there's a lot that ties it into the general themes and just the feel of those original games. The game looks light years better than the first two. Um, a cup, about a week and a half ago, um, because my copy of this was late, I ended up picking up a used, not a used copy, but a on-sale copy of Assassin's Creed 3 um, from Amazon, knowing that I wasn't going to spend a ton of time playing it, and I'm really impressed by how good that game looks. It's just, it's really, you know, it's a, it's a living world with tons of characters everywhere interacting and talking. I think the game just looks gorgeous, and then to, to move on to this game and think that it looks even better, I mean... You know, say what you will about the series itself, but you know the the visual, you know, sort of artistry of the first couple Bioshock games. It was very, very unique and had a very specific look and tone to it. And this one feels much different because it's not it's not a city that's been destroyed that you're just trying to figure out what happens. I mean, you're in the middle of this living, breathing city that's sort of at its peak. Um, it's very bright and shiny because you're up in the sky, up in the clouds, so that automatically makes it feel a little different, but it's still weird and creepy, and you still don't know how, you know, things are just a little off and just a little different, and there's supernatural aspects to it, but, um, you know, the, the, the gameplay as far as fighting is concerned feels very similar. This game has the addition of this skyhook system where there's basically roller coaster tracks everywhere that connect the different floating islands to each other and um, you can use them as transportation basically run around so you've essentially taken a first person shooter and put it on a roller coaster which I was a little curious to see how that would work out and so far it feels really good it's as simple as anytime you're near a rail all you have to do is hit the A button you'll jump up to it your skyhook is a little magnetized so you can just run up to it and then it's you either look ahead with the right trigger or you can hit B and it flips you around 180 degrees and you can look behind you other characters will follow you. You're constantly looking for places where you can land and you know dismount, and it's it's just crazy. Like it just it it's fast. It's it's fun. So I mean, there's there's not a whole lot that I can say about it. Number one for wanting to spoil anything, but also again, pretty early into it. But 
the the couple things that I'm that really made an impression on me were number one that they've really decided to sort of take the themes that they said they were going to you know tackle and push them to a really high level. And one of them was the idea of like extreme American nationalism and exceptionalism. The idea that like it's that we're number one to the exception of everybody else. Like really taken to a an extreme of where you know there's a lot of propaganda posters that have you know pictures of you know uh asian people or pictures of black people or native americans that are very very overly stereotyped and very racist and a lot of the dialogue of the characters is extremely racist and i was telling my wife you know she saw me saw me come and go in the room i had this weird look on my face and she said, what, what's going on exactly? I said, I just saw, like, one of the worst things I've ever seen as far as, like, horribly racist stuff. And it's in a video game that I'm playing? Like, it actually, you know, there's essentially, like, this black couple that's brought out and you're tasked with, like, throwing a baseball at them because they're not really human anyway. Like, it's really crazy. And it seems like the kind of thing that Fox News is going to grab onto and, like, have a field day with, but... It's in the context of saying, you know, this is the time that it was, and these are the people that they were. And I, I think that's really, really bold, because this is definitely shooting to be a huge AAA hit that the studio wants everybody to buy and love. But it's it's really pushing an envelope of, you know, what some people would consider to be acceptable or not acceptable. Um, and along those lines is the, the violence in the game is extremely graphic. Um, which, you know, as graphics become better and machines become stronger, like, that's something that's easier to do. If you've ever seen, like, the death, you know, animations for a game like Max Payne 3, or even the Dragon Age games, I mean, just the level of blood and gore involved. I mean, it, it's really, really graphic. And, um, and so, number one, that's kind of impressive because it has sort of a shock value to it. But then the other part of it, too, is that the combat, I think, feels a little weird to me. And I had to think back to playing Bioshock the first time through. I've said before that first-person games are not my favorite way to play games. I don't like them a lot. I don't think I'm really good at them. Probably because uh, camera sensitivity is always an issue for me. And I've already had to bump it down a couple times in this game. Because I hate seeing my reticle fly all over the place. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. But I'm hoping that the combat starts to feel a little bit more fluid. It feels jerky to me. I'm having a hard time you know, sort of circling in on enemies and they're very, very fast and very agile. So maybe that's just a learning curve I have to get used to. But I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, excited to go home as soon as we're done <laughs> recording this and keep playing because it's, it's definitely got its hooks in me. So what questions can I answer for you guys? If any, I don't know. It's hard to say because again, I'm only about um, five or six hours into well, it. One of the things I heard was really fun was just that you can just wander around and, you know, you don't just get necessarily randomly attacked by everyone that's there. Right. And that the environment itself can be really interesting, but also you can listen in on conversations and that that's kind of something that's fun, that's fun to do. Have you, have you experienced anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot that's going on in the world. Um, basically where the, where you show up into this city it's this like Columbia Day, which is basically like their version of like the Fourth of July. It's like they're celebrating how amazing they are, and there's you know these sort of literal floats because they're floating all over the city, and they're you know they got posters, and, and essentially you know this this one man 
Comstock is the one who came up with the idea. He's kind of the Andrew Ryan from the original Bioshock to this game. And, you know, he's sort of this fanatical prophet that everybody's following. And so he's sort of the Jesus of the world. And the gods that they worship are Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and George Washington. So early in the game, you literally find yourself in front of these huge statues of the three of them, you know, robed like they're Grecian gods. And people, you know, you walk around and there's a lot of people that you'll just happen upon. You know, I was walking through a garden and there was a couple that was sitting next to each other on the edge of a fountain, you know, holding hands with their eyes closed. And they're like saying this prayer to like, you know, Father Franklin. It's really weird. Like it's, it's very bizarre. But, um, but there is, it's a lot of, a lot of commenting on what's, you know, going on, commenting on things that you've just done commenting on stuff in the story and and most characters have something to say and it's neat because you can come back to those characters and they don't necessarily just say the same thing mm-hmm. it's one of those games too where you know the the character models the npcs is set up in such a way that everybody's always kind of looking at you and aware of you which i think is really cool because i think it's weird when you can go into a game that's supposed to be immersive and you kind of just like run into a group of people and they all just sort of keep doing their thing like they can't even see you you can jump around like an idiot and it's like nobody notices, but this is a kind of game that will notice when, you know, you're interacting with people or you'll try running into somebody and then everybody else around kind of frowns a little bit like, what are you doing? So <laughs> I think that's really cool. So it does feel, that makes it feel more immersive. And then I have the same problem with this game too that I have with the other two Bioshocks is that I'm, it's going to take me a lot longer to play through it just because... I like walking around and looking at everything because the art direction is incredible and the level of detail it's gone into everything is just insane. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. So I'm going to go like, those trees look different. I'm going to go just kind of look at that for a minute. And it rewards that because there's a lot of hidden items. I mean, there's a lot of audio recordings like they had in Dishonored or like the Bioshock games that sort of flesh out the world. And then there are these little, um, it's like the little penny arcade machines that you'll see in like old timey arcades where it's like a little there's like a little view goggle attached to a wooden box and you they have them at some of the old resorts at Walt Disney World and places like that where you 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 put your face on top of this thing and you crank a little lever and it shows a little stop motion sort of graphic that's kind of how the history of the world is told so it's it's a lot of touches like they've really invested in getting the time period right as far as like the aesthetics of what the artwork looks like the music is unbelievable, even though for some reason there's a lot of modern music that's presented in an old-time fashion. So I've already heard a Beach Boys song and a Tears for Fears song, but played in the style of the music of the time. I, I happened on a barbershop quartet on a floating parade that were, that were singing God Only Knows by the Beach Boys and my wife came in from the other room and just kind of looked at the screen and then looked at me and then looked at the screen and looked at me and she's like why are they and I just sort of shrugged my shoulders like I, I don't know just because <laughs> just because it's amazing I don't know so I, I think there's some there's a narrative reason for why that happens in the um, in the advertisements in the early uh, you know ads and videos that they released for the game there's a moment where the female character that you're basically escorting through the game has this ability to kind of open these holes in reality. She can tear the world open. And one of the first times she really makes an effort to make a big tear in the world, she opens it up into this weird sort of alternate version of the 1980s where like Tears for Fears is playing in the background. There's a DeLorean driving on the street and there's a big like 
movie marquee that says Revenge of the Jedi, which was the original working title for Return of the Jedi. So I have no idea how this stuff plays into like the actual story of how the game's going to work, but apparently it's going to. So, yeah, it's it's definitely like a whole world that kind of just want to like sit and sponge up. I worry that this is going to be like one of those RPGs you get really invested in and you kind of just like get to a point where you're kind of like, I don't really want to go any farther because then it's going to end. Then it'll be all over. <laughs> and this game doesn't have a multiplayer component. So, you know, other than difficulty level, I don't know what the compulsion is going to be for replayability. Um, I know that there's a season pass that's set up, so there's going to be some kind of DLC added afterwards, which, you know, I'm definitely going to invest in just because I, I want to see as much of this world as I can. But so far, so good. I mean, they set their sights ridiculously high for what they said they want to try to do with this. And from what I've seen, they're, they're doing it. So, kudos to Ken Levine and the Irrational Games people. Yeah, well, I know this game got pushed back and pushed back, so a lot of people were, you know, really desperately waiting for this thing to come out. So, I mean, it looks like it, you know, they, they pushed it back for good reason because it seems to be doing really well. Um, but on to the next, um, this is kind of a semi-review because it, it's not really a whole lot. There's a new uh, DLC release for Borderlands 2. Um, it didn't really add a lot except necessarily to the game except for um, it did increase the level level cap which we've been waiting Finally. for a while for them to do they upped it by 11 so that was a pretty significant up you know they it, like it to do that you need to turn things up to yeah they always like to turn it up to 11 so it, and now the level cap is 61 rather than 50 um, and on top of that in order for you to reach 61 for all those people that have done everything and are at 50 already they added a new mode which, um, you know, there was the true Vault Hunter mode, which was already ridiculously difficult as it was. Really and now hard. there's ultimate true Vault Hunter mode or something. Which I is think a third playthrough, basically. That And the enemies are even harder even than they harder, were. And I'm sure the guns are even better, because I remember the jump. Yeah, well, it says it adds new gear and stuff like that, so yeah. um, uh, lots of new additions. I was kind of disappointed because I, they announced that there was going to be a new character... Um, uh, who's going to be more of a melee-based uh, kind of character and plays around with the whole the more damage you take, the more damage you deal kind of uh, kind of play style. I, a lot of people thought he was going to be in this DLC, but apparently he's not. So yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to see if they're going to release that separately. Is something you have to pay for? Because this was, I think, the last DLC for the Season Pass. I'm not really sure, but I'm pretty sure they said this one was included in the season pass, which would make it the fourth, which would make it the final. I yeah, think this, I don't know. I think, I think this, this is final. unrelated to that. Yeah, because yeah. it's. I don't think it's changing a lot with as far as like new enemy types and stuff like that. I yeah. think that's because if I, I think if you download it, it's only like three or four dollars if you don't have the season pass. So it's not. There's no new story, I don't think, or anything like that. But I wonder that it's if that will maybe be tied to the new. Um, the new character, yeah. the sixth character. I don't yeah, think this is... I think they just gave it to season pass members for free. And that there's still a DLC coming. Because oh, they okay. announced this another DLC. in that four? Yeah. Like no, I think they just five. gave it to you for free anyway. Oh, okay. But um, uh, Because there, there was already talk about the next DLC. Um, because I think they leaked some stuff about it being like a really robot based and things like that. Kind of like the Claptrap Revolution. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I can't confirm any of that. That was all leaks and stuff. But I'm pretty sure yeah. you got one more. That's at least in that group coming out. And uh, the character, uh, we'll see if he's part of that. Uh, but I have a feeling they just wanted to get this level cap out because I think a lot of people have been yeah. waiting for it, mm -hmm. and I, I think they're worried if they waited too much longer, people would start putting the game down. 
Um, especially with these great titles coming out that we're talking about. So, I mean, yeah. maybe people are putting it down anyway. I haven't played it much. I haven't played it much, but now with the, the increase in everything, I, I mean, I might pick it back up because I can, you know, continue with my character that has already hit that level cap and actually, you know, it gives you those more points to spend on new abilities, which is always really fun because there's a lot of those that you're always like, oh, I wish I could get do this one too. And, and new and more powerful weapons, that's yeah. always. Yeah, yeah, getting, yeah, new loot. It's, it's always nice. So, I mean, you know, we were really excited to hear about that, and we're really looking forward to trying out that new character, and hopefully uh, maybe we can talk about him a lot um, once he comes out on uh, one of our later episodes. Um, but we got a, a little suggestion that um, uh, Jared here found out that he wanted to throw out for any of you guys who, you know, uh, Aliens Colonial Marines came out not too long ago, and uh, luckily we uh, were not able to pick that up on day one. <laughs> We were uh, fortunate enough to we, not play this game. We dodged yeah. that bullet, um, which it doesn't really seem that hard to do in this game because it's ridiculously <laughs> easy. But uh, yeah, so, so we missed out on on, on picking up. Uh, it's, it does not seem like they can make a good aliens or predator game. It just uh, I guess I guess and I, I guess it's just saying, not meant to be. I they're guess. saying the multiplayer is supposed to be good. I, I have my doubts because the single player. Well, they said so the bad. multiplayer was like the only redeeming factor, but even it wasn't like. Yeah, so here's here's what I got for you. For those of you who want to play a game where you pit a militia, marines, whatever, versus some species of alien, there is a game coming out fairly soon by Valve, and it is Natural Selection 2. Now, for any of you, I don't know if you guys ever played Natural Selection. I did. The original. It was a (laughs) Half-Life mod. Like so many other successful games. Like so many, yeah. (laughs) So, actually, I don't think, I think it was free. And they just ended up putting it out on Steam eventually. Someone just made it. And um, the interesting thing about Natural Selection was it's a multiplayer versus game, but the two different sides play very differently. If you play as the Marine side, you have one person that gets in the command chair, and he is the commander. So he controls all of your resources. And a lot of this is about resource management, because as you get resources, he can use that to build turrets, to upgrade his the troops, which are you guys, with new armor and new weapons, to build new resource towers when you get to the resource points and get more resources and all kinds of stuff like that. So you have the one commander, and it's when he's when he's in the command chair, he can't fight. So you kind of are down a person actually. He can come out and fight if he wants to, but then you have no commander, <coughs> which is not very smart. Um, so their resources are all pooled, and they do that. Now the aliens are very different. The aliens all get resources, but resources are spread among everyone, and you spend your points how you want. And the basic goal is that when you start, the aliens have one hive, and you want to get all three hives up, basically, because if you do, you can upgrade more powerful, I think they might have been called xenomorphs or something too, I don't know, I don't know, they're aliens, um, that you can upgrade with your resource points, and those more powerful aliens kick the ass off of, I did it again, kick um, they really are much more powerful than the the human side, even when they're upgraded with a lot of armor and stuff like that. And it helps you to be really, really powerful. So it's about this balance between, like, you know, do I find resource points? What kind of what kind of alien do I, I transform into? Because only these builder aliens can build hives and, and, and gain new resource points for everybody um, by taking over these nodes that have resources. And those can be destroyed on either side. You can destroy them and take them over yourself. And um, so there's a lot of strategy and, and a lot of group play. And Natural Selection was really, really fun. And uh, so if 2, which is going to be based off the Half-Life 2 engine, is anything like it, it'll be incredible. It'll give you an experience. It won't be, you know, the aliens from Alien. Uh, it's different. But it'll give you that kind of experience and should be a lot of fun. 
It looks like it'll be really good. So, it's if this is my uh, if you really wanted that experience, this is my try this out because it sound it should be really great. The first one was awesome. If this is even as fun, just if this is just graphically upgraded and as fun, it should be really cool. So just something to check out. Okay, well, uh, you said that the first one was free. Do you know whether or not the second one is going to be free? Um, or gonna I think you have it? to pay for it. It's a standalone game. So it's not they're not releasing it as a mod to Half-Life 2 or something like that. This no, is just going to be I, its own It's going to, as I understand it... Kind of like what they did with Counter-Strike. Yeah. Right, it's, it's been so heavily modded at this point, it's just a completely correct. separate game. Yeah, it's just going to become its own thing, and it should be running just basically on the Half-Life 2 engine. No. Is it going to be um, a full $60, or is, are we $20, I don't know, 30? price point. Oh, okay. uh, I guess, actually, I would wager you probably will just buy it on Steam. I bet it's not even going to be... It might, uh, be, that's what I would it might be hard yeah. to find even a disc um, to, to buy it on, but I don't have a price point. We'd have to, I'd have to look it up. Um, it's not out yet, yeah. uh, but I know it's coming out, and I doubt... I, if it's, I, would, I would be really surprised to find that this game is a $60 game. I doubt it'll be even close to that. Yeah, consider it's just one mode. It's one one mode of game. Really fun, though. I think it's something cool. All right, well, there's our, our first uh, used gamer suggests, you know, so hopefully we'll come out with some more of those. Uh, speaking of a natural selection, one, uh, we had a little bit of a, a loss of, uh, of uh, a member. They were not considered the fittest, so they did not survive in the natural selection. There was a fourth uh, used gamer, and yes, we never told you about it. Game uh, uh, <laughs> developers, but um, Disney, you know, they recently acquired, you know, uh, Star Wars and Lucasfilm and everything that entitles in that. So they actually dissolved out um, LucasArts as a game developer. Now, I, I've heard a lot of different things about this. And, I mean, number one, I, I was a little worried when I first heard about it because, you know, I love my Star Wars games. Um, uh, you know, I've been playing, you know, The Old Republic and I loved the uh, the Knights of the Old Republic games at Battlefront and I was really looking forward to 1313 and all these other games. So I was a little worried that this was putting a hold on all those, but it sounds kind of how they're putting it out there is they're not necessarily getting rid of it. It's almost like, at least from what I heard, I don't know if you guys heard any different, but it sounds almost like they're going to let other companies make the Star Wars games. You know, Lucasfilm isn't going to be making them anymore, or uh, LucasArts. Um, they're just going to be kind of in kind of more of a background thing of just, you know, while other games actually, other companies develop the games. But... Um, it was really interesting to hear about, really kind of uh, disappointing, just because, you know, like I said, like my Star Wars games, but I don't know how much you guys have heard or, or your feelings on it. Or Well, here's the thing. I think that, I mean, I've, I've been trying to follow the everything following the Lucasfilm acquisition relatively closely, just because I think it's it's fascinating that Disney is now in the business of owning everything you loved as a child, <laughs> like all in one place. You know, their own properties. They just the gotta Muppets, buy a Hasbro Marvel, and they're good to go. Basically, I mean, that's kind of a running joke, but I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, if any company has the resources to do it, they do. And ever since that acquisition happened, they've been very clear that their priority was episode seven. Like that was what yeah. Disney was gonna put their whole strength behind. So a couple different things happened because of that. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard about Star Wars Underground. Star Wars Underground sounded like the coolest thing in the whole world. It was going to be a live-action TV series set in the Star Wars universe, produced by George Lucas, that was going to focus just on the bounty hunters. This sounded like the greatest idea ever to me. Yeah, And that's amazing. now shelved. Dead. Huh. That's done. Uh, the Clone Wars <laughs> is now killed. Yeah, I heard that. That's, that was a big one. That's over now. And a lot of people are really upset because that, that series... Well, I never really got into it, 
really hit a stride where it felt like a legitimate part of the expanded universe and really had like cool characters, great storytelling, like good writing, and it's dead because they just said, no, we're not doing that anymore. No, I watched it and I thought it was, at first I was a little iffy because you kind of got the feeling it was a little kiddie. Very cartoony. But it it built and it it hit a lot of parts where it felt very adult. You know, characters got killed. They hit real issues where you would be sitting there watching that and you're kind of thinking, wow, this seems a little heavy for kids to watch. And I think they... I think they started out, you know, kind of, you know, uh, putting it more towards kids in order to get that initial audience in order to make it successful. And then once they had that and once they had a lot more people watching it, then they started building on it and building on it. And I think they really did create a really great series. And I was kind of disappointed to see it go, especially because, I mean, I mean, I figured eventually it's got to end, you know, because it took place between right, you know, episode two and time, episode yeah. three. There's only so long that war can go on. And I kind of wanted to see how they would tie it in to how they would create the Anakin and, and the characters that are in the Clone Wars series into how, how they are in the third episode. Right. But uh, I don't know that we're ever even really going to get to that. Well, and, 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 and then, you know, the press release that I saw said, you know, that very candidly, like, okay, we acquired this company, we looked at what our strengths were, we looked at our own history as a game publisher in Disney Interactive, which effectively doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, uh, did any of us play Split Second, the racing game? No. Crickets, crickets. I mean, no, no. I mean, that's not I didn't what, even know what that they was. do. I mean, they're in the business of making licensed you know, probably Hannah Montana games or something for the DS for little kids and probably made a fair amount of money doing that. But even, you know, aside from, you know, Star Wars Unleashed and, the, and its sequel, I mean, that's kind of the last sort of things that LucasArts as a game publisher put out. And one was received very well. One was received not as well. But, I mean, the most popular Star Wars video game that's come out recently has been the Lego series. And mm-hmm. LucasArts doesn't even have anything to do with those. That's yeah. Traveler's Tales made those games. But, um, you know, it, it feels weird that things kind of, you know, ended the way that they did. I mean, their, even their Star Wars titles have basically been shelved for now. Their first re- official release was that Battlefront 3 and Star Wars 1313 were dead and they've been canceled. But now they've kind of retracted on that, like Mike said, and said, well, you know, we might be able to work out publishing rights and developer deals, which... That makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, people will buy Star Wars stuff. It doesn't have to be good. It's a sad reality <laughs> of that fact. Like, people will buy anything that you put that name on. So, you know, if they can find the right partners to be a part of those titles, that's fantastic. And I've seen rumblings where people like Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer have started talking about, you know, at this point, maybe I can go to Disney the gigantic monstrosity that it is, and I might be able to buy my game properties back from them, which sounds crazy because you know even Double Fine, successful as they are, the tiny studio compared to the Walt Disney Corporation. But yeah. <laughs> if they have no interest in being in the games industry, then they have no reason to hang on to Day of the Tentacle, you know, or something like that. Like there's no reason for them to hold on to that stuff. So maybe this is the silver lining that you know get these games and these franchises and these properties into the hands of people who are interested in them or invested in them maybe you can even get you know the people who worked on the games through lucas arts you know they need a job now 150 people were laid off when the studio closure happened so yeah. they're gonna have to land somewhere so who knows but yeah it is i mean it's weird because it's been a fixture in gaming for many 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 decades now and it's just sort of not there anymore. Yeah. Which I feel like is something we've been talking about on a couple episodes. Uh, you yeah, know, these, a bunch. 
Yeah. Either, you know, game channels or game websites or game studios all going by Which the wayside. It's funny. It seems like, you know, the gaming generation has grown and grown and now it's such like an integrated part of our society and it's it's getting into everything you know you talk about your mobile gaming and your arcade gaming your online gaming facebook gaming you know whatever and it's just funny that at the same time though we keep losing all this stuff uh, as well so as, as it's growing it i mean maybe it's just you can't really necessarily say it's growing or, or shrinking it's actually just changing you know maybe we're just moving to different ways of doing it um i don't know but I, I mean, I would hate to see no more Star Wars games. It is a loved franchise, you know. We'll see more Star Wars games. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're still gonna have developers like Bioware and stuff who want to make Star Wars games, who can do it well. Who, I mean, I don't think Disney would be Bioware? against saying like, yeah, well, Bioware, that's Obi-Wan. right, <laughs> a little company that does those awesome things. Yeah. Um, you know, Disney's the kind of company where they're gonna see somebody who can make something successful that they can make money off of right. that they don't necessarily even have to do a whole lot for. And I don't see them saying like, no, we don't want to make money. You know. Yeah. So, so I would like to think that we're still gonna be able to see those games. Hopefully, you know, big franchises like Battlefront will still be able to come out because I know everybody was really excited to see what they would do with the third one with you know these newer consoles. Um, I know Star Wars 13, 13 was a huge deal, you know, cool. and a lot of people were looking forward to that, so, um, you know, hopefully this isn't the end of the Star Wars video game, hopefully it's just a, a change in it, um, not to say, I mean, because that's the whole thing, is LucasArts, they didn't really make that many great video games, so if this just means that other developers are now going to make Star Wars games from now on, that's not really that bad to th- that's almost kind of even better no you know? I, I i agree i think this could be a good thing for star wars games and 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 especially since i'd like to see star wars games at least out of the hands of disney disney does a lot of things well making video games is not no. one of those no. things they do well it's something they do very poorly actually so i you know obviously there's a lot surrounding this you know you don't want to hear studios closing and you don't want to you know, hear people lose their jobs and stuff, but, like, ultimately, in terms of the quality of the game, Star Wars games that I think will exist, because I do think they'll exist, Disney's not stupid enough to not sell this property and make money. They bought the the Star Wars property because they knew how much money they could make. They will will sell this to people to make games, and they'll make money off Mm -hmm. it. The games will get made, and I think, ultimately, the games that will get made could not only maybe be more, but that they will could be better than if it was in the hands of just one studio anymore I think this could be a really good thing yeah absolutely so good job LucasArts was that to go yeah no I mean yeah, it's, it's, it's never good when you hear about you know especially in this economy people like yeah. kind of losing their job and stuff but you kind of hope maybe there's some kind of silver lining I don't know uh, maybe they'll be able to like I said find jobs at other game companies that want to make Star Wars games They're like hey well you have experience so you know yeah there you go uh, hope for the best for them um and then next up, we have a little uh, interesting issue that has come up within the last uh, um, few months with, uh, especially it has kind of really been brought to the spotlight with uh, two specific game releases. Um, and those games were uh, Diablo 3, which came out um, you know, a, a little while back, and then a more recent uh, release, which was the new Sim City. Now, uh, kind of what we're referring to this is both of these games required you to have a online connection while you were playing. It was kind of like you were always in multiplayer mode, I guess, in a way. Um, just you were always connected to their servers. And a lot of people um, were a little kind of iffy when they first started hearing about this. And then, of course, a lot of things started happening that really kind of, um, you know, 
solidified their feelings on this. You know, you had a lot of different crashes, different problems. And, you know, we're starting to see this more and more. Like, even with, you know, we were talking about a little bit with the, the, the PS4 about, like, you know, or these new consoles. Like, are they going to require, like, you know, do you have constant internet connections? And then you start talking about the people who maybe don't have as great internet connections as others. There are still some people out there that use dial-up. There aren't that many of them, and it's kind of weird to think about, but they still are out there. So are they going to be basically limited in their gaming choices in the future if this becomes more of a trend? So, I don't know. What have you guys... Your thoughts or things you've heard about it? Yeah, and I mean, there's... I I think that there's, you know, there's going to be an aspect to why the publishers or the developers decide that that's the way the games want to exist. They're going to have both their reasons that they explain, and then there's probably reasons that go on behind the scene. Now, the, the most explicit reason that people have talked about is that it's a DRM thing. It's a copyright protection thing. So that essentially, you know, piracy on the PC is extremely rampant because it's so unbelievably easy to do um, that since, you know, most PC gaming now isn't even done with physical media. I mean, it's if, you, if you're going to buy a new PC game, you're probably going to get it through Steam or through Origin or through one of the, you know, the online services that just dumps it onto your gargantuan hard drive that you have <laughs> if you have a, a, you know, a good gaming rig. But, you know, so the idea is, you know, to, to monitor that, we need to make sure that people are getting access through a purchasable key that we can then monitor to make sure. So and I understand that because people want to protect their properties and they should be able to. The other side of it is them saying that, no, there, there's a reason that, you know, there's a gameplay reason why that connection has to exist, which I think is what their defense has been for SimCity, is the fact that, you know, you, you're really not playing a single-player game even when you're playing by yourself. Like, other people's cities are kind of coexisting with yours in a world, and they somehow interact, and I've heard a little bit about how that works. The interesting thing about the SimCity thing is that they, they've been able to, a couple people have gotten into the the source code of the game which and they've they've looked at it and and actually figured out that there's only two lines of code that make it forced to be an online game and what it does is it's specifically telling your machine every 20 minutes look for an online connection and as long as it's there allow gameplay to continue so the idea is that if for some reason you're in the middle of a game and you have, you know, your your internet service goes out, you get bumped off, you know, your server goes down or something, you don't get kicked out of your game automatically. Like, there's a buffer of time to where reconnection can happen. And that's really nice, because I've been in the middle of Mass Effect matches where you, all of a sudden you're just booted. You're like, ah, what? And it's that's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that there's a little buffer built in, but at the same time, they had always maintained, no, this game has to function as an always-on like, that's just the way it's built from the ground up. It, it can't exist without that. And these people went in and said, no, look, I removed these two lines of code, and now I'm playing the game, and it's fine. And they've said, you know, they encourage modding of their game, as many PC developers do. But they've said outright, like, no, 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 that's not a mod. That, that's a hack that you just made. You hacked our game, and that's not okay. So they, they took all that work that those guys did down. So that kind of seemed to show a little bit of the falsity going on behind the scenes of saying, no, you could have made this a single-player game that didn't require it. And, you know, then there's other inconveniences. It's like you said, you might not have a good internet connection. You might be a, 
you might have a gaming laptop and maybe you're somebody who travels a lot for work or you know that commutes i mean i've seen people playing you know huge games on airplanes and that's not something you can do if, with a game like diablo that would require you to be on all the time you know their other excuse for that was that they had a real money auction house so where you know you were able to sell your in-game items for actual money to other players and them saying you know the potential for hacking and exploitation there is just way too scary so this game has to be connected all the time so yeah. that we can police that yeah but just make the auction house online and police just the auction house well and it, it, that's one of the arguments and then the other bit is that Diablo 3 now exists in a new form, which Mike can say a little bit about that, is that it's not just a PC game anymore. Well, yeah, they, you know, they announced recently that you know they talked more about it coming out for the PS3, and that that version will not require you to have an internet connection. So, and this is bringing up this this conflict a lot more, is because now all these people that played Diablo 3 on their computer, and it was all required for them to have an internet connection, and now they're hearing, well, it's coming out for console, and you don't require an internet connection. Like, what's the deal with that? And I think with the one thing is I think they've said that the PS3 version will not have the live auction house for one thing, but that's just the whole thing is if the whole reason for you having the internet connection is for the live auction house, why couldn't you make that a separate thing? Why couldn't you make it to where if you're not connected to the internet, you can't access the auction house, and that's right. it. I, and I think a lot right. of it is is I think a lot of companies are trying to combat this whole piracy thing. And I think they're trying to come up with lots of ways to do it. It's interesting, actually. I just read today um, uh, the developers of the, the CD project, the guys who are making uh, the, Witcher. the Witcher 3, are actually taking away any kind of DRM stuff from Witcher 3. They're like, if people want to you know, use this on torrent sites and steal our stuff, then fine. Let them do it. You know, we're not going to waste our time and our effort developing all this stuff. We would rather waste our time and our effort, not really waste it, but use our time and our effort to develop a great game. And they said that actually there's a lot of stuff going on on torrent sites now where people are telling other people not to download like and steal stuff from Witcher 3 and Witcher games because of the fact that they did this. Hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Like by taking all that out, now people are telling them not to do it. It's almost like, you know, it's kind of an interesting little reverse psychology. Well, almost. and you have to do the thing where if, as the person who owns that property, like you have to make a decision because, you know, you look at the way that SimCity rolled out which like from the day it was released was basically crippled beyond playability. Oh, and when I was seeing, I mean the game looked incredible from what I'd seen. Again, not really my kind of game, but I really like playing the old SimCity on my computer. I love the Super Nintendo version. It was really fun, but like, you know, the review scores that were coming out for this game were 2s out of 10s, 3s out of 10s. And I'm looking at this like, how is this possible? This is worse than Colonial Marines? And they're like, no, the game is incredible, <laughs> but you literally cannot play it. You can't play it. Amazon Pulled the game. They said, no, we're not selling it. Like, the day it came out. That's huge, because they're a gigantic retailer. And they're oh, like, yeah. no, we're not going to sell this. It's it's broken. We're not going to sell this broken product. So then it's like, okay, well then, how many copies do you think feasibly might have been pirated? And I'm just going to make up numbers. So maybe 50,000 people were going to get free copies of this. And that number's probably a lot bigger than that. But was it worth it to risk those 50,000 to now have several million people disappointed in the game that you made because you were worried about this stopgap of you yeah. know what you were going to potentially lose from piracy. Well, so it's a, you, that's that's a line they have to figure yeah. out how to deal with. Well, then you also have all the people like us who maybe don't buy games 
day one most of the time, who maybe wait to see what the reviews are, wait to see what a game is, and now you've heard, you've seen these horrible reviews, you've heard all these problems, and you're like, well, I'm not I'm going not to waste that. my money. Absolutely. So how many people do you lose? And I think that's the thing is, I mean, I think that's like what CD Projekt is trying to say is, you know, if you make a great game, people will buy it. You know, there's there's people out there, you know, and these are just regular gamers and stuff like that, telling other people not to, like, pirate your game. Like, I think that's what they're trying to say is, like, if you make a great game and you have a great fan base, it's going to take care of itself. You're going to have pirates no matter what you do. I don't care how hard you try, somebody is going to be able to figure out how to, how to get a hold of that game. You know, it's like, just like with the music industry. You know, they, they keep putting things and then somebody figures out a better way. It's just like with viruses. You know, you can get the highest, you know, virus antivirus software you can find. Somebody is going to find a way to get around it. And I, and I think... That's a really interesting thing for CD Projekt to come forward and say, you know, we'd rather spend our time making a great game than spend our time trying to, you know, combat pirating. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this before when we talked about things like, you know, the Mass Effect ending and Kickstarter and stuff like that. Like, you know, for better or for worse, we're at this place now where, you know, the, the developer side of games and the consumer side of games, like, that line is getting so much smaller and so much blurrier that, you know, we can get the extended cut ending of Mass Effect because we all cried a lot, you know, as an internet. We, oh, you know, we all cried and, and I think everybody's, you know, <laughs> maybe it's not exactly what everybody wanted, but everybody liked the fact that it happened and found something they liked about it. So, I mean, that's... So, are you at a place even where... You really kind of have to like realize that you know now the consumer base has a collective voice that kind of never existed historically before. Like when Blu-ray came out and we lost the ability to copy DVDs the way we and again I'm just making some of this stuff up. Like what are you gonna do about it? Like that's just the way things are. But now you've got forums and you've got community groups and you've got companies with community managers who have to deal with, you know, people bombing their sites with, you know, bad reviews. You know, you've got things like Metacritic where, you know, people's bonuses on the developer side are tied to Metacritic scores, which still blows my mind. I mean, there were people working for Gearbox or for the other studios that were involved who had bits of their contract on that game that said if this game gets a Metacritic score of 80 or better, you'll get a $20,000 bonus, or whatever it was. And all it takes is us to go on to Metacritic and say, we're the used gamers, and then Mike to say, I have GameAwesome.com, and I'm giving this a 1.0. We can drag this score down and affect the actual financial lives of the people who made the game. That's insane to me. But it's the company's fault for putting these parts of their contracts in saying, yeah. you know, you must get a score that's this good. Like, that's crazy. Like, make a good game. Like, that's what your goal should be. Make a good game that you can actually play. Like, It should be based off of not what Metacritic says, but maybe, like, what we know, say. how much it's sold. Or, or maybe if it continues to sell months after it's come out. Like, you know, one of the, the, the ways I always judge how good a game is is what its price is at GameStop when it's used. If you see a game that drops in price really drastically, really quickly, you can tell that game has no, sucked it. and they're oh, just trying to sell well. it. Yeah. If you see a game that's been out for years and yet is still just as much like as a lot of games that have come out recently, yeah, if it's still up above oh, like 30 yeah. bucks and it's five years old, that's a great game. You know, if that it's is a still game there and it's like six months old, it's a good game. Yeah. yeah. 
So some I good mean, games even. And drop that's kind of the I feel like that would be a better way to judge it. You know, is just look at what it's priced at GameStop. I guess you could yeah. use that, or or just look is is it still selling? Are people still buying it? You know, I think that's the, it would be a better way to do it. Because yes, because that's the whole thing. It's kind of the the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Is if you judge it by these critic sites. Like, I, we don't go on there and talk about it. You know, it's like you're going to get these people who just want to complain about something or, you know, and then you'll get some some actual people who have good advice. But that's the problem, I think, when you base your stuff off of a lot of critical stuff like that where anybody can say whatever they want because there's going to be a lot of people who just love to say stuff on things that nobody cares about and their opinion is, is usually just completely unfounded. But they just have to complain or have to say something or have to be heard or whatever. And, you know, hopefully that's not the way the gaming industry is going, where you get these things, like the Mass Effect 3. As much as I did kind of enjoy the extra stuff, it was kind of fun to have, I felt like it wasn't really needed, and I did feel kind of a little bit like Bioware got bullied into doing it, and I didn't appreciate that. I was like, this is the game that they released, right. this is the you game they put time into. It. If you didn't like it, fine. You didn't like it, trade it back in, don't buy it, whatever. But that doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that they change this thing that they put all their blood, sweat, and tears into. That is where I think it's it's it, we're going down the wrong path. Well, and I think that one of the things to keep in mind too with this, and it's come up in various different ways, is you know it, games can come from all kinds of different places now, and they can come from huge publishers and huge developers or really small ones. They can come from one person making an entire game by themselves now that you can buy on the same storefront. I mean, you, you can have. Fez next to Minecraft next to Assassin's Creed and they're all they're all right there as a consumer there's no difference one might be more expensive than the other but during one of their sales there's no reason any of those games couldn't be gotten for 10 bucks i mean that's just the reality of it but when you have these smaller studios that are more sort of invested in their communities that are a little leaner more nimble and are willing to do just like back weird stuff um, is like they're able to adapt so much better I, it, if you look at like every major weird like archaic dinosaur rule that's come up recently in gaming it almost always leads back to EA and like it's the same complaint that everybody had about Activision like right around the time that they bought Blizzard they're this monstrosity that is like they just have this stranglehold on their properties so it's like they're the first company to think of the online pass. It's like, yeah, you can buy a used copy of our game, but if you want to play multiplayer, you're going to have to buy this key that yeah. came with a new copy that, oh, we're happy to provide for you. It's just going to cost you the exact amount of money that you saved by buying the used copy. So they were the first ones to pioneer that. They were the first ones to put microtransactions in console games for stuff like Dead Space 3 or for like the kind of stuff that you're seeing now in Gears and other publishers, but they were the first ones to do that in their games, in the Madden games and stuff like that. They were the ones who put out SimCity with its always... So it's just like, they seem to just always be like the evil empire of gaming. And you know, it's probably an undeserved thing because at the end of the day, they bring us a lot of really amazing, great things, but... Maybe because of their size, they're more willing to just say, no, we're a company who runs this like a company, and a company has to make money and be a business 
So these are the things we're trying because at the end of the day, studios have a really hard time dealing with this used game thing. And for them to, you know, we still don't really know whether or not the new Xbox is even going to play used games. Mm -hmm. I think it will be insane if it doesn't. Well, especially considering PlayStation pretty much confirmed the fact that they are going to allow used games on the PlayStation 4. So I think if Xbox then comes out after that and is like, oh, yeah, we're not done. But, you know, I think part of the beef people are having is I don't think this is what they're saying about this online stuff is, you know, we're a company, we need to find ways to save money. What they're saying is other things that are generally not true. Like, I believe they said that, yeah, you kind of need to be online to run SimCity. Right. And, and as they prove, it's you built into the functionality. You don't need to actually do that to play the, to just to play the game. You don't need it. And it didn't really even make sense, you know, like... When I think of MMORPG, what do I think? Oh, SimCity. When I think of playing with other people, what do I think? SimCity. No! No! It is like the quintessential single-player experience. It's something like SimCity. So I feel like what a lot of the beef is, besides the, the technical problems, is they're trying to do something different than what they're saying they're trying to do. Right. And they're trying to mask it. And, and I think people kind of have beef with that. It's like, you know... This community is not six-year-olds anymore, you know? Like, when we were kids, and mostly just kids played games, you know? Like, adults play these games, and if you try and pull the wool over our eyes, that's very upsetting to us. We don't appreciate that, you know, being treated that way. Just, if if you need to come to us and say, listen, we think people are going to steal our game, and we think this is going to combat that, we're going to try and give you some bonus stuff for working that way, though. We're going to try and run some of it on our servers... We're going to make this a two-way street. What do you guys think? I think people would have been like, well, okay. And then when it didn't work properly, they'd be like, this kind of sucks. But they, I think they would have been a lot more forgiving than them kind of BSing us about yeah. the, what it seems is really behind this trend happening. And that, to me, is where it really got pretty sketchy. Is that I think they tried to present it as something different than it was. And then on top of that, to critically... you know, Not critically, to um, fail logistically so poorly... Just really drove that home. So I think that's the big beef with stuff like this is mm-hmm. is that it, it, they're they're trying to lie. To us. It's the dishonesty part. Of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, that's we uh, everybody knows about the piracy thing going on. We understand. Yes, that's not new. If I was trying to sell something and then somebody was stealing that and you know taking it and giving it away for free, by all means, yes, I would not be happy. That's that's my hard earned money that that is just going down the toilet. So I mean, I think if they just presented it like that or found a better way to do it. Then yeah, fine. But you know, I also do feel like sometimes you just need to accept that that kind of stuff's going to happen and not let it affect so much of your game design. You know, just yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully maybe some people will look at like what CD Projekt's doing and think, hey, maybe we should go with that. I mean, because obviously SimCity, like with Diablo three, you can kind of understand them having like the online because they're supposed to be kind of multiplayer. It's a fantasy game. You get together and you do quests together. You know, just like a, yeah, a you World of Warcraft offer online, whatever. then you don't force online. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. There is that too. But in SimCity, I don't see any point in having an online no. because unless I can attack somebody else's city or do something to somebody else's, like send a natural disaster, you know, there or something. I do not see any purpose whatsoever with having a, and any kind of online And who want you to be function. able to do that to their city? They're like, oh, I'm working so hard to build it. Oh, look, seven Godzillas just came in my city from well, seven Well, some people, people might like to do that, but then again, you'd have to make that more of a multiplayer mode, not the norm, you know? It's, 
It well, would, it, then it becomes a PvP versus PvE issue. I mean, then it's just you've right. opted into yes. what experience you want to have. Well, it's kind of like, I look at like uh, Dark Souls or whatever, where somebody can just randomly jump into your game and kill you. That's great because that's how that game is done or whatever. So if that's the way you're going to do it, fine. But you have to realize that some people don't want to play that game. Like I, I don't want to play, play that way. Yeah. It happened to me. Anyway. Also, yeah, that game was built for masochists. So that is <laughs> so that's actually a different genre. Exactly. But that's the whole thing. Is yeah, I don't want people jumping into my game. I don't want to be playing Mass Effect Three, walking around. You know, I've just fought through this hard, bu- you know, final, you know, kind of fought through this whole hard area, and have somebody just walk up behind me and shoot like me in the back of the head. Yeah. And shotgun you. It's like. <laughs> Oh well, that really stinks. You know, I don't want to be going through Dead Space on like the hardcore thing where you only get three saves, and I get to the very end and I'm almost done, and somebody jumps into my game and kills me. So I'm like, well, crap, I've saved in you know twenty hours, so now I gotta go back and do all this over again. Right. So that's what I think is like you need to either kind of make it out there like this is you know part of the gameplay for a reason, like for the difficulty or for whatever, or you need to just come out and say, like, look, we're just doing this because we don't want it to be. We'll see. I think this kind of thing is, for now, it's going to get tabled, and I think what will happen eventually is that discs will just disappear anyway. Oh, I mean, I think we're on that way anyway, so, browser-based games and But even, but even then, even if you have to download everything onto your system, I still don't think you should have to be online to play them. Right? No, no. No, I mean, I think the whole system should be made, so... I mean, what if there's people out there... There's people out there who don't have internet, you know? Right. And they're not going to play MMOs just because that's something you can't do. Yeah, there's but some people out there who play video games like to play by themselves. They they like the solo. They don't like playing with other people. You know, we're not really that huge into Versus. I mean, I'm not even really that big into MMOs, even though I play, you know, The Old Republic. I only play with other people when I kind of have to, when the quest requires it. But really, I like the fact that I can play that as a single-player kind of game... Because I kind of like that. Yeah, I like playing with other people, but usually just my friends. I'm like, so I don't really want to play a game that requires me to play online with other people a lot of times. Yeah. Because a lot of times that's just really annoying and frustrating. So I'm trying to figure out a reason why you're adding that into the game. And then when you're just feeding me, you know, fake reasons, yeah, that's going to frustrate me even more. So, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully this is not, uh, you know, the beginning of a new trend. It seems like they're hitting more problems than they are, you know, good stuff. So hopefully that'll kind of... You know, people for the make people. other people yeah. think like eh, we don't want to do this because we saw what happened to SimCity and we're not going to follow those footsteps so um, we'll just kind of see what happens with that but um, that pretty much wraps it up for this episode so um, hopefully you guys will uh, come back uh, for the next one um, and hopefully we won't have nearly as much time in between them as we uh, we did uh, from the last few but uh, we're going to start trying to get a few more extra ones out in this next little while while there's a lot of new stuff coming out mm-hmm. um, and uh, hopefully we'll keep you guys informed on all the new stuff and uh, I guess that's pretty much it so for uh, my name's Mike and Jared I'm Chris and for the used gamers we're going to wish you all a good evening and hopefully we'll uh, hear from you soon
when we do the drinking episode. It'll be a drinking game episode, so it's like whenever Mike gets upset about something he didn't get that he wanted in a game. <laughs> Take a shot. Can, can we make it be the last one then when we talked about judgment? Because everyone would be hammered. 